as soon as he broke the Agent Smith's glasses, uh, Agent Smith kind of looks up and he's got this look on his face and you know and he says, "I'm going to enjoy watching you die, Mr. Anderson." <laughs> <laughs> This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. This show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. How are you, Joseph? Hey, TJ. Good evening. Good evening. Yes, it's good to be back. So, it looks like we've got uh, three things to discuss today before we get to our main topic of The Matrix, and we're going to have a guest today to talk about The Matrix, because you you didn't feel like you could talk about The Matrix as well as our guest would be able to. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not comfortable talking about The Matrix, as I'm sure, uh, as I'm not confident on the subject, Okay. I'm not a very huge fan. I I've seen the films a few times, but I I haven't made a point to be familiar with them. So okay, well I'm looking forward to it. Our our guest will be uh, Stuart Adams, who uh, was also a host on Movieology back in the day. Yes, and he started the show out with me. Actually, he was he was originally the creator. He came up with the idea. We flushed it out together. So yeah, he he he's pretty good at this reviewing bit. All right. Well, it sounds good. So let's dive into our, our few items here. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Matt Damon, it uh, looks like, on Movie Line, uh, broke the news, or that's the link that you have in the show notes to the news, I should say. I don't know if they broke it. Uh, that Damon doesn't think he'll be in any Bourne films again. Yes. Th- this is the oddity here, though, is that Jason Bourne's character was phased out pretty much with the end of the Ultimatum movie. And then you have another movie in the franchise. So you're kind of like, what? Okay, now what are you going to do? Well, they they introduce all new characters. They drop basically all the previous bad guys and good guys. And then they just reference multiple times the the storyline of Bourne Ultimatum throughout Bourne Legacy. Right. So here's the thing. Damon has made the point in an interview that he just doesn't see where the franchise can continue beyond this point. And so he was asked, Hey, would you be in another Bourne film yet again? He has been asked that question so many times. I've seen so many articles about that topic. And this time they, he, he basically smiled and said, I just don't see where it can go from here. And then he admitted, you know what? Uh, In so many words, he said, you know, he doesn't see that, he would actually be opposed to it now if there were a story. In the past, he wasn't crazy about it because it was very physically grueling to play the part of Jason Bourne. Sure. And so after the Bourne, Bourne ultimatum, he talked like he didn't want to go through that physical torture again. Mm. But, um, so well, there you go. Well, I heard, uh, and I can't, I'm sorry, I don't have a reference to the link or anything like that, but I heard that uh, he he was not happy with the story of uh, the fourth Bourne film in the early stages, and so he kind of walked away from it. That was what I heard. I don't know if you'd heard anything like that at all or not. I have not heard anything. I think it's also, <laughs> well, it's kind of telling that Matt Damon himself has not watched Bourne Legacy as of this, as of this time, <laughs> so... Uh, he he's heard a lot of other people's opinions about it, but he he said in the interview that he has not watched it. 
Yeah, that that usually doesn't mean that. I mean, that usually means that the actor is really just not interested at all. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of telling. Yeah, uh, but I mean, if he did reprise Born at this point, it'd either be that the the money was really talking to him, or that I don't know. Maybe he would have some more confidence in a better director. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and and you know, I, I like I said, I uh, I was not happy with the newborn film at all so you know i i really kind of hope they just leave it alone frankly yeah i i have to agree at this time um legacy wasn't a travesty but hmm. it's a sign that any any further developments of the franchise just don't have anywhere to go i have to agree with damon yeah and and you know i disagree with you about the fourth one i can't even i've, I've already put the name of the film out of my mind <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So do you have uh, anything further you want to add about that? No, but I would like to introduce um, our other subject, which is, um, well, Hitchcock. This movie with Anthony Hopkins playing Alfred Hitchcock. Do you know anything about the film? Have you seen this new trailer? I did watch the new trailer. I did. Good for you. Yeah, the uh, new trailer (laughs) to me is, uh, it's a demonstration that the film has a lot of potential merit but that but that's my standpoint you you don't seem interested now why how come why don't you care for hitchcock's movie well i think um historically films about films as tony stark might say not awesome (laughs) uh i i I don't know i i just Hmm. what are what are some others that you're thinking of can you think of one i can't you know that's that's uh here here i am uh saying this on the podcast and i can't think of a really good example but there's just there's a gut feeling that you remember from your past you were never crazy about one that's right that's correct and i i watched this trailer and i thought what a horrible film about uh, I, i just nothing about the trailer interested me at all and in fact some of it just looked really appalling to me how uh, really yeah i just i I, and i think maybe i was being appalled by the personal life of this guy uh it it just it looks it looks really bad i'm just not interested yeah he is a a deranged type but so are a lot of people in show business so yeah this is true (laughs) i guess i you know it's kind of like my mom uh has told me before i i really you know sometimes i regret looking into some of these actors when i get into a show or a movie and she'll go on imdb and she'll be looking around and and she'll find out or or whatever and she'll find out stuff about an actor and she's like boy i wish i hadn't done that (laughs) yeah you're right there there is a lot of mm, mm, there is a lot of baggage that comes along with alfred hitchcock as if one of his um fans for several of his classic films it, it it sometimes would be a relief not to know so much about the guy but at the same time, I guess it, it's interesting to me that someone like me can appreciate his movies so much and yet not appreciate the man. Because to me, I watch his films and I think to myself, boy, if I could make a movie, I wish I could make a movie like that. What, what are some examples? I, um, Rear Window, Vertigo. Okay, yeah, even Vertigo, si- yeah, even Psycho, but Psycho is not my favorite. Now, did they um, reference Psycho in that trailer a few times, right? Am I correct in saying that? Yes, that seems to be what the film is that he is making. Okay, that's what throughout I thought. Throughout this movie, yeah. 
and I haven't seen Psycho, so I couldn't tell for sure, but that's what it seemed like they were talking about. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 very apparent that Psycho is a classic, whether you like it or not. You, you once you see it, you'll understand why. Yeah. But then uh, the one that I probably appreciate the most is Rope. Rope is a very thought-provoking, well-written story. Hmm. Have you seen that one? I have not. Put the, put that near the top of your queue if you can. I don't believe I've seen any Hitchcock films. Right. Oh, okay. I think we talked about this before, Joseph. You admitted that you had not seen some of these films, but you had not told me you had not seen one. I don't think I've seen any Hitchcock films. It's you know, <laughs> uh, TJ, we need we need to help you. Um, okay, yeah. Well, Vertigo is on my list to watch. I just uh, okay. I've not well, been able put, to do that yet. All things considered, if I were you, I would go ahead and put Rope ahead of Vertigo. Okay, movies to watch: Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. Now the thing about any of Hitchcock films is that you'll you'll recognize the more of them that you see how they almost feel episodic that they are longer versions of his television show. Hmm. Um where you feel like they could all belong to the same series even though they're completely unrelated characters. Okay. If you if you understood the television show you'd understand what I mean that he always remains within the real world. He introduces all kinds of emotion and human characters, but all in all, they be- they feel as though they could all belong in the same genre and in the same universe. Anyway, that's just one of those things that I, I appreciate about his films, but I don't think I could ever be a filmmaker like Hitchcock, and I guess it's probably for the best. Okay. I will say this about the trailer. Um, I... Uh, I became aware at some point that that was Anthony Hopkins, but not at first. It was really by his voice that I, I was like, you know what? That sounds like Anthony Hopkins' voice. And so I went on to IMDb, and sure enough, it was Anthony Hopkins. And so I thought that was interesting. Like, is he wearing a lot of makeup, or has he just aged a lot since the last time I saw him? Or what? what's the deal? I know he's up in years. I reckon that his makeup, though, is involving some prosthetics. And he's uh, his, uh, his heftiness is probably just wearing some prosthetics there too well i assumed his heftiness would be but his face looked quite a bit different so i I wasn't sure i think those are some prosthetics okay all right well um i will probably have to watch this film uh because you're interested in it and you're going to want to review it so uh we'll see how that goes so i'll try to watch some hitchcock films some actual hitchcock films before we watch hitchcock when does that come out in theaters joseph Later this year, I believe. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm at a total loss. Okay, let me see here. Da, 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 da. November 23rd. Okay, so we'll put it on the docket. All right. All right. Now, Joseph, you have seen Taken 2. I have seen the first Taken film this past uh, week. No, it was last week that I watched it. Uh, iTunes Rental. Uh, was not available on Netflix. I'm finding, by the way, as a side note, that not many films that I want to see are available on Netflix. Um, when I got my Apple TV, I renewed my Netflix account, and uh, there just hasn't been that much. I've got a few things in my queue that I haven't gotten around to, but nothing that I thought, oh, I want to go watch something right now. This is what I want to watch, and they don't have it. So Yeah, the consumer-to-Netflix relationship is a very difficult one because, well, on the one hand, they seem to be really trying, and I just don't think it's Netflix's fault oh, that no, they no, don't no. have the things we want to see. I should be I clear. It's, it's the studios. The studios are being really stupid about this, and it seems like Netflix would be a great thing for everybody. But, uh, yeah, I um, 
in any event. Uh, so I just kind of got sidetracked there because I wanted to watch it on Netflix and I'm paying for Netflix and I wound up having to rent uh, Taken in iTunes because that was the way to get it. Um, so I watched Taken. Now you have watched Taken too. And uh, I, I really don't want to go into spoilers because we are going to be reviewing Taken 2 next week and I haven't seen it yet. But uh, just tell me, good or bad film? Uh, well, good with some caveats. Okay. And, and yeah, I, I think that um, the critics are too harsh and the audience is too eager. So the film has has obviously done very well, and well, I was going to say the studio is obviously week. happy. The, the you know everybody involved is obviously happy because the reason we're talking about this is Taken Three is reported to be underway. Right now, one of the unique qualities about why uh, Taken Three is underway is just bec- it's based purely on the money. I mean, it's already done inc- incredibly well. Um, just for the opening weekend. Let me see here. I think it says opening made everybody think. Yeah, okay. So it made 100 million in opening weekend globally. Mm. Um, but I mean, after all, the film as a whole, do you know how much it costs to make? I do not. Let me check that out. It only cost 45 million to make. So it cost less than half of what it, uh, you know, uh, what it made back in the box office on opening weekend to make. So that's that's obviously appealing to the uh, studios and stuff. Yes. Now I watching the film, I didn't feel like it was slighted as far as you know the budget is concerned. A lot of these other action films are get they've got bloated budgets. But you have to think too, uh, if if Taken Two is anything like the first Taken film. There's not a lot of, uh, like, CGI work and stuff that has to go into it, necessarily. Exactly. So... And, you know, what's really strange to me is just how much of that budget went straight to Liam Neeson. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. Be- uh, it, 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 reports are saying that he made $10 million on Taken 2. Mm. And that if uh, Taken 3 happens, he'll probably make around $20 million. And in an interview, Liam Neeson was saying that, you know, granted, the first film was about his daughter being kidnapped. In Taken 2, it was about the kidnappers seeking revenge. And so they are after not the girl, but they're after him. Right. And if uh, he resolves his conflicts in Taken 2 to a degree with the potential, you know, there there is room for a sequel even in Taken 2. So... The problem here for Liam is that he just doesn't see where the franchise can be furthered with another sequel. Um, but I think money talks, <laughs> and I'm sure the writers are going to rise to the occasion. I don't know that Taken 3 will be as good as Taken 2 worth Taken, the original, though. I have my doubts there. Yeah, it seems like these sorts of things tend to go that way. So uh, they, they tend to just go downhill, so... You know, we'll, I'll reserve my judgment, and especially I'll reserve it until after I have seen uh, Taken 2 this uh, this weekend, actually. I'll be watching it Friday night. Well, hey, we have a, we have a few minutes. Do you mind telling me uh, what your initial impression was of Taken? You know, I would, uh, if I were rating it, if I were reviewing it and rating it, I'd probably give it about uh, three, maybe three and a half stars. Uh, does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, that's where I would stand. 
Um, it, it just it was a good action flick. Um, and and not only was it a good action flick, but it, it didn't get mired down in the action. It took its time to get where it needed to go sometimes. And you'll hear me harp on this a lot. And if you read my reviews, if you heard me on this podcast, you'll hear me harp on this. I can't stand a film that 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 moves is, is constantly moving and doesn't have ups and downs and peaks and valleys and it, a well-paced film is going to have these peaks and valleys and I felt like it was a well-paced film and there's you know something was in very endearing to me about a father doing everything he could to get his daughter back in spite of all the odds against him um I, I really enjoyed the story in that way so that's just, you know quick couple of quick thoughts on Taken I I enjoyed it a lot okay cool. Yeah, I I I I would agree with you on the same points. I think it's a little bit different from your typical action film. Oh, certainly. Because because it has such a uh, a strong message that's applicable today. That the, the, we're seeing, you know, world current events unfold in relation to trafficking and it's serious stuff. But it seems like the movies have shied away from the topic. Um now, I think that a lot of the reason that people were attracted to Taken 2 was because of the first film. So we'll talk about the merits of the second film next week, but like you said. But yeah, I, I, I like so many others, didn't think, you know, this was just another action film. There, there is something more to this film than just its action and entertainment value. Agreed, certainly on the first one. And, and you know, I'm assuming you would have that same opinion of the second one. Yeah. Yeah, I do. All right. Okay, so you ready to get Stuart on the line? I think we are. Okay, we now have uh, Stuart on the line here, so why don't you uh, introduce Stuart to us? Hey, welcome, Stuart. Oh, thanks, guys. It's great to be here. (laughs) Good, because uh, we are here, and we're glad that you're here. You're the first guest on Movie Byte. And this is episode 13, so TJ and I, we, we're not running out of things to talk about as of yet, but we did think that we were due a guest appearance, because it's something that we want to have regularly on the show, we just haven't got around to it. So, Stuart. Well, I, I feel honored that I am the first. Let's hope that I'm not the last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you won't be. Uh, I sure, I sure I'm sure we'll have you back, not too. The last. So. <laughs> Now, Stuart, um, the reason we wanted you is because you kind of dragged me kicking and screaming into movie reviewing in the first place. And yeah, but, uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about movie bite, our, our movieology, oh, the history movie-ology. behind movie bite. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we're digging up the past. Let's see. This was, what was this, uh, October 2010? I think so. And you came to me with this idea for a movie review show. And what was going on in your head? Um, well, <laughs> being at American Vision, we were basically just looking for things to be creative with and things that, uh, that we hadn't done before and looking for a challenge and also just looking to uh, engage the culture through movies. Um, that, that particular show obviously had a, a very specific worldview and uh, biblical bent to it. Um, and because of that, uh, we, we thought that there was a big gap in, in the ministry uh, aspect of, of where Christians fit in with movies and uh, and how we're supposed to react properly to them. Um, you know, And so that's kind of what the idea that, that, that started it all, I guess you could say. 
Now, Stuart, I have to confess that I I think I only saw one of your episodes, and I, I have not seen all of the movieology episodes, and I saw mostly the ones that Joseph did. Oh, you're so, totally missing out. Yeah, I know. I, that's uh, <laughs> When we when uh, Joseph started talking about getting you on the podcast, I'm like, ah, i got to find time to watch some more of his uh, reviews and stuff, but I never did. So Yeah, um, man, you should check it out and, and find out what we thought about those movies that are now two or three years old. (laughs) Well, the thing about Stuart is that he has a, uh, a more objective approach than my own. I would say you, um, you take an approach that's a little bit more down to earth. You're not as imaginative with films as I am. (laughs) So I I guess I'll take that as a compliment. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it is. It is a compliment. Um, I think that you and I worked well together on movieology and, and yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of miss it for what it is worth. Um, th- this show, by far, though, I think that we can branch out and do more with Movie Bites. So, in the long run, it was a good thing. But we would have never been here today on Movie Bite if it weren't for Movieology. So, there you go. And that is why Stuart is with us today. Well, I'm glad I can contribute. Yes, we're glad to have you. All right, so Joseph... Uh you, you said that you wanted to take a little bit of a back seat and probably not contribute too much as uh, Stuart and I talk about this film because you're not as big of a fan. You didn't necessarily hate The Matrix, but uh, it you didn't doesn't sound like you would have given it five stars like I did in my review. <laughs> no, and I don't know that Stuart would either, but... Uh, well, see, I'll we had this rule at Movieology that we weren't allowed to do five stars because there was no such thing as a perfect film. Well, it depends on what you mean, <laughs> and I can I can see where you're coming from for sure. Yeah, um, I I would consider in the modern era of filmmaking, and I, I guess we're I guess we can just say we're going to go ahead and dive right in. I would consider the modern era of, uh, modern era of filmmaking, The Matrix, to be pretty. I mean, since there is no such thing as a perfect film, it's as perfect as you can get, and that's why I give it five stars. Like I I, I don't see a reason to withhold five stars from it. Yeah, and when when I say there's no such thing as a perfect film, that I'm I'm really being facetious when I say that uh, that you should never give five stars to something. It's it's basically your your rating system is how you want your rating system to be. Right. And and, and if you're doing a five star ten point scale, then and you remove ten as being an option, then you have a nine point scale. So exactly, yeah. exactly. That was my thinking when I when I set up the scale on movie bite and so that's kind of the why i gave this five stars because certainly i mean every film has something you can complain about and and since you broached the topic we've never actually done this on the movie bite podcast before but it's okay to do we can talk a little bit about uh the you know reviewing it as a christian um and you know you were certainly with movieology approaching that a lot more uh and and certainly with the Matrix, um, there are you know especially looking at the Wachowski brothers, uh, there are certainly some things to be concerned about in terms of especially if you get into uh, Matrix Re- Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. Uh, I think there's a lot right. to be concerned about there. Yeah, there's but, definitely a lot of the Eastern mysticism and uh, and just they bring in a whole slew of worldviews and different religious um, backgrounds throughout the narrative but to me that's one of the things that's appealing especially about the first one and uh yeah because even though you can see that influence there there's nothing particularly wrong or overpowering with it in the first film with the second film it just kind of got out of hand but uh yeah i I would agree with that and I, i would say the main theme of of the especially the first one is is allegorical to to christianity agreed um, agreed 
So so it's not like they shunned Christianity in order to get all their other religions in there. I think they're trying to be intentionally trying to be a almost universalist type. We're going to give everyone their their day in the sun, in other words. <laughs> right. Now, um, I do want to mention a few stats here, and, and this is interesting to me because I actually uh, came to like The Matrix after I never saw it in theater, which is unfortunate. That would have been such a great film to see in theater. Um, I just wasn't into films at that time. And um, it, this had a budget of $63 million, uh, and opening weekend was uh, $27 million, so not a great start, perhaps, compared to the budget. But over time, it has gone on to make uh, domestically... Um, one hundred, uh, uh, I'm sorry, one hundred and seventy-one million four hundred seventy-nine thousand, and worldwide mm. four hundred sixty-three million five hundred seventeen thousand. So it, it, it's kind of, I think I've heard it described as this kind of a sleeper film that's come up and, and just made all this money. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, typically rated R films don't make as much money at the box office anyway. Right. And so with this one, I think especially. Um, yeah, people were kind of it's you know it looked very dark. Like the trailer it looks very dark. The the color schemes are very dark and monochrome, um, and so I think general audiences may have been deterred by that. But uh, it definitely has a cult following now. Yes, definitely, and I, I would be among those for the first film for sure. Now, um, typically, what we would do here is um, we would give a little a background on the film. Uh, just in case somebody hasn't seen it or needs to kind of be reminded, so I'll just I'll, I'll do that now. Uh, Thomas Anderson is a man who is living two lives. By day, he is an average computer programmer, and by night, he's a hacker who's known as Neo. Neo has always questioned his reality, but the truth is far beyond his imagination. Neo finds himself targeted by the police when he is contacted by Morpheus, a legendary computer hacker branded a terrorist by the government. Morpheus awakens Neo to the real world, a ravaged wasteland where most of humanity has been captured by a race of machines that live off the human's body heat and electrochemical energy, and who imprison their minds with an artificial reality known as the Matrix. As a rebel against the machines, Neo must return to the Matrix and confront the agent's super-powerful computer programs devoted to snuffing out Neo and the entire human rebellion. So not not a horrible uh, synopsis. I would you know if I were writing that, I, I read a, somebody's synopsis. I would have changed a few things, but you know, it gives you a pretty good idea of what's going on. Yeah, it's a pretty fir- complex story. Yeah, I was about to say the first time I saw it, I actually saw a made-for-TV edit. Oh, horrible! Yeah, and so I came out of it thinking, okay, I know this was awesome, and I know that there's a lot going on here. I don't think I quite understood it to the point that I did upon the second viewing, though. Yeah, I, I definitely had to watch it several times, and thankfully it was uh, I was watching it on home video. So in that sense, I'm thankful I was able to go back, you know, in a, you know, a week or so and watch it again. And you know, there's multiple layers you can get when watching it. I mean, at this point, I think I've you know I watch it at least almost once a year. Um, but uh, and so I kind of know all the story now. But uh, definitely. You know, you, it's a film you watch a few times before you mm-hmm. get all the nuances. Yeah, and it's definitely a thinking film, too. At least it was for me. Um, you know, you're having to, to juggle several different plot devices um, and several different storylines. But in a good and, way. Right, and, and the fact that there's two separate worlds, one of which is supposedly a lie that's intended to deceive it's just it all seems very complicated on the surface yeah and i remember uh that when i first the first time i watched the film 
even though I had knew something of the concept of the Matrix, I didn't realize that we spent the first, uh, was it the infer- first entire act, I guess, probably, was in the Matrix, and I right. didn't realize that. Exactly. Um, now, we should mention, too, that the reason uh, we decided to review the Matrix is because of Cloud Atlas coming up, which I must say, I, I really, as I'm looking at the trailer and knowing the where the direction that the Wachowskis went with the Matrix tr- uh, sequels, that I don't have high hopes for Cloud Atlas. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on, in the same boat with you. The visuals look amazing. Uh, and, absolutely. And I believe the acting is also going to be top tier. Uh, but yeah, it, it just it doesn't seem like a cohesive thing. It's it's like it's jumping around everywhere. Right. Agreed. That, that's kind of how I feel from the trailers. Now, a lot of people have uh, who have seen the film, critics or whatever, um, who've had early access and stuff. They say it's a great film. So I'm I'm go- I'm certainly going to see it. I'm expecting to be disappointed. I'm expecting it to be filled with complete and utter drivel and Eastern mysticism <laughs> and and all that stuff. But uh, right. I just wanted to mention that that's why we're reviewing The Matrix this week, and and because it's, again, one of my favorite films. Now, you mentioned, uh, Stu, the the, uh, the visuals, uh, and specifically relating to the trailer, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen a trailer for this film, but um, I love the visuals in the film, especially, mm-hmm. you know, in retrospect after the first viewing, how the when you're in The Matrix, it has this kind of a greenish, uh, blown out kind of a cast to it yes uh, very kind of not blown out but washed out and then uh when you're in the real world it's much more gritty and real even if it is a little bit monochrome yes yeah and i that's another thing is everything about this movie is done extremely artistically um it's like they thought of everything and in that like you said the the green hue um it's it's just this subconscious way of communicating okay we're in a different world now and i think it's just it's masterful yeah it is very masterful and and yeah the the stylism of this film uh well i i get a little frustrated if a film is too stylistic like like even uh, i know this is going to be blasphemy perhaps to you uh <laughs> i oh, i really don't know but to a lot of people it would be uh well as much as i enjoy the lord of the rings sometimes i get a little frustrated by just how far they push the stylistic stuff yeah, that's blasphemy. Okay. I'm just going just gonna to say it. Okay. Um, maybe I can't think of a better example, but sometimes I get frustrated just if, if you push the the stylistic uh, elements too far. But I felt like The Matrix was, was a really good balance of, mm-hmm. of the stylism. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the thing, too, is is they they have things like, for instance, the, the fact that everyone wears sunglasses all the time even indoors when they're in the matrix right there's no purpose to it there's no practical reason why they should have these in the matrix but you know what they look cool and that's really the only reason it's there they do and i didn't include this in my review um but i did read a little bit about the symbolism of the sunglasses and how often when the actors take off the sunglasses in the matrix they're you're Mm -hmm. it's because they're looking at something from a different perspective and it's a subtle cue to the viewer of that sort of thing yeah, and I know in, in I think it was the, the third movie, there's this big epic battle between Smith and Neo that, you know, basically is ramped up and comes to a climax when when Neo breaks Smith's sun, sunglasses and yes. shatters them. So Well that and that was true in this film as well. He he broke uh 
the sunglasses on Agent Smith, and uh, you know things kind of like got the rough. ultimate insult or something. Like yes, that. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was like uh, as soon as he broke the Agent Smith's glasses, uh, Agent Smith kind of looks up and he's got this look on his face, and you know, and he says, "I'm going to enjoy watching you die, Mister Anderson." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing about the, about the the movies is the acting and the casting was just perfect and i love hugo weaving in anything i've ever seen him in except for lord of the rings really you don't like him in lord i of don't the rings? Be, and you know why because his performance doesn't feel like elrond to me it's it's really as far as casting in the lord of the rings it's the only thing i really have quibble with wow uh because he he doesn't feel like an elrond to me he feels like agent smith trying to be elrond and it just gotcha Everything else in Lord of the Rings casting wise. Okay, is fine. anyway, so, so you're one of those who hates the Lord of the Rings movies because you love the book so much? Uh, no, you know I've never read the books. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, that theory's yeah, yeah, that theory's gone. <laughs> but, but my wife has, and she she has the same. She has much stronger feelings about that than I do. She's gotcha. and and you know I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings, and so is she. The the movies, but in any event, I don't want to get too far off that rabbit trail. Right. You were talking about the casting. I'm sorry to have interrupted you. Oh yeah, and um, you know. The thing is, the lead role, Neo, is played by Keanu Reeves, and Keanu Reeves was made for this role. Agreed. I have I have never seen any movie that I have ever liked Keanu Reeves in other than the Matrix films. Right. Well, his acting is often much maligned uh, by people. Uh but I don't think any even even people who who diss his acting and his him in general, they typically don't have a problem with him in this role. Right. I've never heard of that. And, and uh, you know, there, there there are two kinds of actors, really. And one the one kind is, uh, when, when I think of this kind of actor, I always think of Patrick Stewart. Very versatile. He can act in almost anything and be almost anything. Mm-hmm. Right? So, he, uh, and then there's the type of actor that really he plays the same role all the time and he has to be cast right. Right. Typecast. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the way I think uh, Keanu Reeves is. But he, he is, you're right, absolutely perfect for this role. Yeah, I mean, even even the the small things like they actually reference kind of his aloof disposition a lot, and they they talk about his pasty white skin, you know, in the beginning of the film. Yes, and it's just like everything about this character just oozes Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does, and 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 it's good thing for this role. Absolutely, um, and and you know, uh, I really, frankly, I think every part of this first film was cast perfectly i mean i could not have asked for a better person to play trinity than carrie ann moss mm-hmm. uh, and, and you really she does a really great job of being this uh you know she's she's on top of everything and she can take care of herself but you really like her and relate to her often right. in the film uh and 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 like you said of course hugo weaving uh as uh, agent smith just uh and you could tell he just like really relished that role i think i think that, that comes out and, you know, I, I don't know if I've, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, of course, Mission Impossible. But other than that, I have not seen Lawrence Fishburne in much. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I don't know, you know, if, the, if which, which type of actor he is, but he's certainly perfect for this role. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely has that kind of fatherly, um, almost pastoral role in yes. this movie. Yes. And, uh, and he pulls it off very well. Indeed. Now, I'd, I'd kind of like to talk a little bit about The Matrix as a concept, because that, as I alluded to, was kind of one of the things that I, I had to watch the film a couple of times to get all the nuances of. And, and mm-hmm. it really, to me, it's, it's a brilliant plot device, if not unrealistic, 
uh, you know, we I don't think that this sort of thing could actually really happen where computers could actually have that sort of intelligence and, uh, you know, have for, for all intents and purposes, a soul and to be sentient. Uh-huh. But, but in a film like this, it's a brilliant plot device. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I, I love the, it's almost the, the Skynet, you know, 10,000 years in the future type idea right where the the battle against ai and the machines has is basically already over and now we're just slaves to the machines and they are harvesting our our body heat but they can only harvest our body heat um if we're alive and the only way we can stay alive is if we are under basically if our brain is functioning normally as if we are um living our lives out um, which is, you know, you could say that's pretty far-fetched, but in the sci-fi world, it's, it's really not that that much of a stretch. Um, and not that they're trying to be realistic with this movie at all, but it's not too much of a, oh, well, I need to, to completely check out of reality in order to enjoy this movie. Right, no, it's not that far-fetched, because, uh, I mean, certainly all of us know that our, our brains are electrochemical, and that sort of thing could I suppose in some theory happen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if we ever understood the brain enough, I suppose it is possible. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't think it would ever happen. But in any event, um, it, and and I, I really, I really loved the concept of, uh, you know, Morpheus. I think described it best in that first fight scene between him and Neo when he's training Neo, and 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 he beats Neo, and he says. Do you believe that my being stronger or faster has anything to do with my muscles in this place? Right. You know, you think that's air you're breathing now? And that's when you really, <laughs> I mean, I know when I first watched a film, for me, that just like, you know, I was really into that concept. Like, yeah, you could do almost anything you wanted in there if you could learn to control the system. And that's obviously exactly where they're headed with that. Right. Yeah. And, and two, it's, it's kind of a fantasy for us as well. You know, we, lo- we would love to be in a world where we can bend rules like gravity with just by controlling our minds, um, you know, everyone has the dream to be able to fly, things like that. And so being able to, to view this movie and kind of experience that vicariously through the characters is also another draw for the film. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you feel about the concept that they can't just be unplugged from the Matrix? They have to get to an exit and, and you know, exit the program, so to speak, gracefully. <laughs> do you, I mean, because I hear different sides of the coin on this, and, and a lot of people think, well, yeah, it's a contrivance that you kind of have to buy for the sake of the stakes of the film. Yeah, I, I kind of understand it to be kind of like software, where if you don't close out a program in the way that it's supposed to be closed out, mm-hmm. like... On Mac, I believe it's called a, a force quit. Right, um, correct. And then in PCs, you know, you use the task manager and, and close the process. But, right, correct. You know, when that happens, you pretty much lose all your saved data, and you you basically are just thrown out of the program. So I, I kind of see it that way as an explanation. Um, you didn't exit properly. Yeah, um, except the stakes are a little higher than just losing <laughs> all the data in your Word document. <laughs> right, right. You lose all the data in your brain. Right. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, uh, we can talk a little bit about the sequels. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> where the sequels went really off the tra- off the rails, where Neo was completely disconnected from his body, and there was never really a good explanation for that. Um, that was the third film, right? Yeah, yes, well, yes. Here's where we kind of differ in opinion, because I did not hate the sequels. And 
the reasons for this are are many. Um, I'll try and sum up. Basically, the first film was completely innovative. It was unique. It was nothing that anyone had ever seen before. Exactly, yes. And throughout the first film, you have this mystery. You have this mystery of what is the Matrix, and who are these people, and who are the agents, and is Neo the one? You know, and all that is is just this burning question in your mind throughout the first film, and then at the very end, you find out. You find out that he is the one. You find out that, okay, now he can do all this crazy stuff. He can come back from the dead. He can destroy agents. He can fly. And so that mystery was just not present in the second uh, and third film. Sure, but, uh, you know, and, and, and just to set the record straight, I don't hate the sequels. I just dislike the second one, <laughs> and I'm mediocre on the third one. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I think they're bad films for a different reason. Like, I, I don't, my, I mean, the mystery has been solved as far as Neo, but there's still a lot to go. There's still a lot to learn. And sure. I do think that taking the concept of Neo as the one and turning that into a, another computer control uh, element over you know, to, to control the human race, that was actually kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the films are, are bad for different reasons. Uh, they yeah. just they just did not... I mean, like, if I were rating uh, Matrix Reloaded, I would give it maybe two and a half stars. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I'll, I'll watch it, uh, and I'll probably watch it soon, because I've watched the first one, and now I have to complete the trilogy. But it's just not... Like, I wouldn't go choose to watch it if it were a standalone film. Yeah. And, and, and then the third one... I think most people hate it the most, and I didn't. I I would give it maybe three and a half, or maybe you know probably three and a half stars. Mm-hmm. So I I enjoyed it at least as much as uh, we were we were talking about Taken before you came on, Stuart, and I would enjoyed it at least as much as that, and I gave that three and a half stars. So gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the thing is, the the thing that I really liked about the the sequels was that. Smith really became his own entity and became the true villain. Um, and I just, I absolutely love Smith's character. So that was a big, a big pull for me. I do too. Um, I just felt like he was a little misused and misplaced in the second and, uh, and third films, mostly the second film. Like the third film brought him back into perspective a little bit. I mean, they did stuff with him that was stupid in the second film, like uh, a 25 minute, I think, I, I believe I counted this once, 25 minute <laughs> CGI fight scene. I actually haven't, uh, I edited my own copy and I basically, it's edited pretty smooth. Like if you were watching it and you didn't know, you wouldn't be able to tell. I cut right. most of it out because it's all just superfluous. But it's awesome. No, it's horrible. It, it, it's 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 horrible. It it doesn't even look good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say that if you go back and watch those films now, the the CG is just not where it should be. It's not. It, and in this film, though, I feel like one they don't. There's not so much CG. Believe it or not, even though we're in a dream world, there's not so much CG that it stands out. And mm-hmm. two, when when there is CG that's a little bit off. Your mind says, "Oh well, they're in a computer world, so that's okay." It's a glitch in the matrix, <laughs> right? So that, that's okay. But in the second film, it went so overboard, I couldn't buy it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I, I kind of like the spectacle, but you know, yeah, it, it definitely was not the caliber of film that the first one was, and, and I admit that readily. It's just people just lavish so much hate on those two films, and 
yeah, I and I'm, they were okay. I'm not quite there. Like, even though, I mean, I'm, I I wouldn't go and talk to people. I wouldn't find people to talk about how badly I hate the films. It's just that we're talking about them here, and so I'm giving yeah. my opinion. I, right. I, most people hate them far more than I do. I, I will freely admit that. Yeah. Um, and you think about the cultural impact the first one had. Um, you look at all the, the internet memes and things, you know, like the blue pill and the red pill. Oh, yeah. Well, and yeah, it's, there it's, is no spoon. And, you yeah. know, there's all these there's all these little tidbits from the first film that are just everyone knows what they are. Yeah, it's, because, it's kind of ingrained in the pop culture now. Oh, yeah. It was a cultural phenomenon. And you didn't have any of that in the sequels. And so it was just, you know, overall, yes, they're they're mediocre in comparison, but uh, I still think that they were they were good films in their own right. Yeah. So, uh, how did you feel about the music for this film? I mean, I know that there's a mixture of uh, cinematic music and a lot of punk rock kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm typically the person who, when I'm analyzing a film. I pay least attention to the music. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of soundtracks. I actually own the Matrix soundtrack, but for me, it's I'm, I'm very visual. I'm a visual learner. I went into video editing. You know, yeah, <laughs> it, it's all about the visuals for me. And usually, I don't pick up on whether or not the music is out of place unless it's really out of place, like noticeably out of place. And in most cases, I'll just be like, oh, you know, that's that's a cool theme if there's a cool theme. But I'm not real nitpicky when it comes to music. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I tend to pay attention to the music because uh, I'm, I'm very both auditory and visual. And I am a, a video editor, but I actually started out editing audio, uh, if mm-hmm. that gives you any indication. So I, I feel like I, I swing in both directions. But the soundtrack, um, as I wrote in my review, I, I, it probably couldn't live up to a, like a Hans Zimmer soundtrack or something like that. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like it felt the, the film very well. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I mean, have the soundtrack as well, and I enjoy listening to it. Right. And it, the music in the, in the Matrix do, isn't like a, for example, we've already used this example, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when Gandalf falls and you just have this very wistful melancholy um ballad being sung right and you know it brings you to tears it's it's not that kind of movie it's it's a lot of the punk rock type influence um and and just general bombacity i guess (laughs) um like whenever Whenever uh, one of the characters will enter the telephone when they're leaving the Matrix, you have this very distorted, very um, uh, almost techno sound um, that accompanies the the music. And I I think it works really well for considering it's a sci-fi film and it's this kind of sci-fi film. Yeah, I mean, certainly the music does strike some very dissonant notes sometimes, and uh, it does work very well for the film. Um, uh, it, you know, it's not a soundtrack that I listen to nearly as much as, uh, say, you know, a, a Dark Knight uh, or The Dark Knight Rises or something like mm-hmm. that with a Hans Zimmer or Pirates of the Caribbean is one of my favorites from Hans Zimmer. But it it does right. work very well for the film. Yeah, and and that's the thing with soundtracks is just because you wouldn't listen to it regularly doesn't mean it's not effective for the movie. Yeah, no, it it worked very well. 
Um, since since we uh, have you uh, here, Stuart, and I, I know with movieology, your focus was a little more on Christian worldview than ours is. But you know, we are Christians, and uh, so it it uh, uh, it might be something that's fun for us to talk about. And we said from the beginning we want Movie Bite to be broad, and we we, we don't want we, we want non Christians as well as Christians. But I you know we're going to talk a little bit about some Christian themes here. So um, what. Uh, how, why don't you give me kind of your overview of of how this how a Christian should view this film? What what thematic elements and is there anything that concerns you and that sort of thing? Well, I mean, obviously, and this was an issue that really didn't come up as much in movieology. Is uh, as a Christian, you always want to be careful about the content that you you set before your your eyes and ears. Um, it's it's not an issue that we really dealt with with movieology because. So many people have such vast uh, differences in their convictions on what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate. Um, you know, so we really didn't go there on movieology as far as content goes. Sure. Um, as far as the Matrix goes, um, it is rated R, so there is some content. Um, so I, I would just say, as a viewer, be knowledgeable about about a movie before you see it, um, and determine if it is something that you think will uh will offend your conscience or not um yeah as I, far as go ahead oh I, I i was i was leaning more towards the uh you know there's there's kind of greek mythology and gnosticism and buddhism and hinduism right. and nihilism and, and all these kind of thematic elements yeah yeah and that the matrix is definitely full of those it's you've got all kinds of different uh, religions and philosophies that that come through, and I, I do, as I said before, I do think that's the the Wachowski brothers trying to include everyone. Right. Um, I don't think this movie really has a set agenda of you must be a Buddhist or you must be a Hindu or you must be a Christian or you must be anything else. It's it's more or less here are some things. When stated a certain way, we agree with, so we're going to put it in there. Right, and that's um, kind of how I feel as well. Yeah, and and the films definitely have a lot of cultural influences as well, not just religious. Um, you see a lot of, of Asian cultures represented throughout the, the movies in characters, in locations, in wardrobe, things like that. Um, but uh, in my opinion, it's not something that Christians should be scared of. It should be something that uh, Christians are educated about and can recognize and can recognize when there is uh, false truth being presented. Agreed. Um, On that note, uh, Stuart, uh, if I may chime in, uh, sure. I have to totally agree. It's a melting pot of culture, These tr- this trilogy. And um, with Mat- The Matrix being the best example were introduced so many themes, and it is a whopper of an education about uh, just religiosity in general, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interwoven into good sci-fi, where on the one hand, you know, anyone given their individual religion they adhere to may object to Christianity outright before they understand what is to be appreciated about it. Um the exposure to this film will introduce them to some con- uh, you know, uh, characteristics of Christianity that are desirable. And um, on the flip side, for a Christian, they have um, the opportunity to educate themselves about religions as a whole. They need to be aware of the uh, 
you know, how it all works, what other cultures think, why they think that way, and uh, sharpen their own wits as to what, well, how they understand their own religion. Um, I think it's important as Christians that we continue to engage the culture. And uh, a lot of people for religious conviction, they shy away from a great number of films like this one. I believe that with maturity, you can, uh, with a discerning mind, you can actually learn and, and glean a great deal of, uh, of good from a film such as The Matrix with its philosophical statements. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I think this film also does a great – it makes great use in storytelling of free will versus what they call fate, what we might call uh, predestined uh, – things that are predestined to happen or predestination. But mm-hmm. it makes great play with that without really ever answering the questions and, and saying to you, this is the way it is. You know, I, I think it, it does a great uh, – boy, how am I trying to – how am I trying to say this? It, 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 you know, it really just is fun to see them play with that, I think, those concepts. Yeah, and I think that, too, it's it's very interesting that these movies, especially, I, I know I keep saying especially the first one, but they're very pro-faith. Um, yeah. You know, Morpheus is, is kind of this zealot, um, and everyone kind of uh, pushes him off to the side and writes him off because he has convictions about things. Um, and yet he turns out to be correct most of the time. And so I think it's it's a very interesting, especially in our day and age, when you have a lot of relativism, a lot of atheism, a lot of anything supernatural is not science and should be shunned. You know, it, it really is very pro-faith. And not that, you know, that's a general, oh, if you have faith and if you believe, then, you know, you're good and you're going to get into heaven and it doesn't matter who you believe in and, you know. I don't mean to be, be that way at all, um, but just the fact that that it is open to a, a mindset other than what might be popular in, in society. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and there's, you, you know, we should uh, we should move in towards the uh, finish line, I think. But there is one other thing I, I kind of wanted to uh, talk about. Well, actually, two. Uh, now that I, I'm scrolling through my article, and I remembered something, um, and that and one is just to mention in passing. Uh, this film kind of pioneered a, a technique called bullet time, and I really love that technique. Uh, where and and the technical way that this is accomplished is where you take several cameras in a semicircle around an actor, and then the computer actually pulls these images together so that you can in real like in in slow motion sweep around like the cameras in in regular speed, but the person is in slow motion. And so you're in what's called bullet time. You sweep around a character. I think that is such a great, um, a, a great. Uh, I don't want to say the word gimmick because I don't consider it uh, gimmicky, but uh, it's just yeah. a, it's a it's a great technique. That's the word I'm looking for. Right, and it was it was you know once again very innovative. It was a technique that I think it had been done before, but it just hadn't been done well, and. That's the other great thing about this movie is because of the world that it's built in, something like bullet time makes sense. The whole, I can bend time or I can bend gravity, I can break the rules of of the earth, basically, in order to accomplish something 
that would seem supernatural. Yeah. And uh and it's just it's 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 beautiful cinematically and it works well with the story. So it's just yeah, it's great. Yes, agreed. And then uh one final thing and and Joseph uh is typing to me in chat here. Can you all discuss any dislikes? Uh and so I'll get to that in a minute. Uh the one other thing I wanted to to just mention, and I don't know if you have anything to say about this or not, is the pacing of this film. Uh, one of the things, I mean, because when you think of The Matrix, uh, you, you think of it and you remember it as a sci-fi action film. There's a lot mm-hmm. of action in it. But in, especially in rewatching this, I was reminded of just how well paced the film is. Um, it doesn't, it's not nonstop action and it's not even, I wouldn't even say that 50% of the film is action. Probably less right. than that. And, and in that way, I find it to be a very well paced film. It takes its time to, uh, to explore parts of the story that are meaningful. Yeah, and and you never get bored with it. No, you're, not at all. You're you're so invested in the story and in the mystery of it. Um, you know, the the scene that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about is when uh, when Neo and Trinity are kind of having this this conversation on the ship, and they're trying to figure out you know what they need to do and if he's the one. And of course, she already knows that she's supposed to fall in love with the one. So there's all this romantic tension, right? of what's not being said. And uh, I just think it's great because you're, you're all caught up in it and yeah, you're, you're right. It's not, it's not action per se and it's very dialogue heavy, but you're just engrossed in it. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, okay. One more thing I have to mention. Um, there's, there's a particular scene that I've always been fat. This, this is when, when I first started watching this film uh, was when I first started getting into cinematography and editing and uh just all that sort of stuff when i it was right it was right before i became uh an editor uh a film editor and so i was paying attention to these things so i was i knew i was going to be getting into this um a, a scene that is always striking to me cinematically is near the, ver- the very beginning of the film where uh trinity kind of rounds the corner and she's headed for a phone that's ringing uh, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden you see the dump truck and the, the agents in the dump truck are going to ram it. And the, the scene cuts to a, it's, it's right in front you, you're right in front of the phone and the phone is in focus and the phone is ringing and mm-hmm. that's where your eyes at. Then all of a sudden the camera never moves, but the focus shifts to Trinity. And that, yeah. that, that's the sort of stylistic thing that you don't, I mean, even even in really great cinematic movies that you would think of, you don't often see that sort of thing. It was a really great, uh, that's just one aspect, one one um, uh, instance of such great cinematography, I think. Yeah, agreed. So, well, Joseph would like for us to talk about any dislikes, and I really only have one. Do you have any? Um, let me think on it. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> my, my, really my only dislike that I can think of, and again, I love this film so much, uh, and, and it's one that I just sort of have to forgive um, because it, you know it's just a stylistic story. But but the when um, uh, forgive me, I'm forgetting the uh, name of the character who betrays them. Oh, uh, Cipher. Cipher. Yes, thank you. My my yeah. brain sometimes glitches out. So <laughs> when Cipher, uh, you're in a scene where Neo kind of sneaks up on him. Uh, unintentionally and scares him and he shuts everything down and he has a quick drink with him and Neo goes back off to bed and then you cut to a scene where he's in the Matrix talking with an agent having a stake and uh, making plans to betray the crew and then he's back on the ship where you know <laughs> where? how did he get in the Matrix and how did he get out he had no operator right it's, it's kind of a plot hole 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And two, how would I guess you could say that he was tech savvy enough to be able to cover his tracks so that there was no record of him going into the Matrix? But right, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely uh, a continuity issue. Yeah, and that's really the only thing I can think of that I, I really disliked because it, it just it kind of threw that little oh come on you, you could have solved that some way uh, you guys are writers figure it out but they just didn't. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could explain it away as to, well, he didn't necessarily technically go into the Matrix. Maybe he was just communicating because, you know, he talks about how he can read the code and he doesn't even see the code anymore. It's just... Yeah, um, although I always, I never really bought that as him being serious. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, they they may have subtly thought, oh, that's how we'll explain it away, but it's not real clear. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that. Other than that, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that that's just glaringly obvious. I, hey, uh, another thought I have about the film that we could discuss is uh, the Academy Awards it won. On the note of how they may have cut it together differently and explained that gap there, it's interesting to me that one of the Oscars it won that year was for editing. Oh, it is a very well edited film, no doubt. Uh, as an as an editor, uh, I I feel like this is one of the more well edited films. And it was uh, nominated for three other movies. I mean, uh, three other categories, and it won all four of them: visual effects, sound, and sound editing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. There's a lots of time. I mean, cause this is a very common technique in uh, what we call L cuts or uh, or J cuts, um, where sound or video cuts first, and then the other follows. Um, this 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 film made great use of that. I mean, I it, it's very rare to find a film that makes such great use of that those sorts of cuts. Right. Um, just like like one example is where the the clock Neo's clock uh, at uh, Mr. Anderson's clock is going off that he should be at work. But you you start that cut, you're still in the club, and you start hearing it almost muffled, kind of distorted, mm-hmm. and it kind of resolves as the scene cuts to him oversleeping that alarm. And that is just a really great use of that uh, editing technique. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. And, and so that, that would be an example, let me get this right, that is an example of a J-cut, because the audio starts cutting first. Right. So. It's uh, interesting, yeah. some of the uh, other sub-movie genres that this one uh, is classified under. Um, you know, I typically think of a movie like The Matrix as just a simple sci-fi, but... Uh, as complex as the genre categories are these days, it's uh, broken down into action, uh, man versus machine, virtual reality, and another one I assume is a foreign film thing I'm not familiar with, Wire Foo. Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, <either>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, this cracks me up. It, we'll have a link in the show notes to where it's listed under Box Office Mojo. And... <laughs> Yeah, the first genre it appears under is action dash wire foo. <laughs> yeah, and let me, since you mentioned the show notes, let me uh, tell people how to get there since I haven't done that in this episode. Uh, the show notes will be found at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 13 because this is our 13th episode. And uh, if you have a, an app like Instacast, it will automatically pull those in. Lucky number 13. Yes. So, uh, Joseph, uh, you were asking us to talk about things we didn't like about the film, and I, I just can't come up with anything else. Did you have anything? I mean, I know you were letting us kind of talk about the film, but were, do you want to mention anything before we before we uh, wrap it up? 
Um, I don't know. Maybe I could say that it's got a rough start. It's a a beginning. It's a beginning (laughs) that you appreciate in hindsight, and you grow to appreciate it with multiple viewings. Mm, I never disliked it, it. It just wasn't something that struck me the first time. Okay, and I really wasn't sold on the premise. To be honest, when I when I saw it the first time, until I was about halfway through the film, and then it started it started to click with me. Uh, not that it, I mean this is petty to be honest, but <laughs> uh, you know, if, if we think so highly of the film, then I guess we, uh, Stuart, would you agree? What, what 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 star rating would you give this thing? Um, I would probably have to give it a five. Given that that no film is completely perfect, right? Right, yeah. With that understanding. um, Oh, likewise. Yeah, and, you know, there is no such thing as a perfect film, but but The Matrix is just, there's so much to love about it. Indeed. And it just vastly outweighs the the small issues that you might have with, with the the plot holes and and whatnot the one plot hole (laughs) yes Um, the the single plot hole and and joseph i'm hearing from you i mean everybody already knows what mine is i've reviewed it on movie bite it's a five star i'm hearing from you maybe a three star well no see uh kind of like we've discussed before on the one hand i have my personal favorites and then i have on the other hand those films i really do think are worth uh their notoriety right 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 you overthink these things yeah, I do. Um, and I'm Better proud to say underthinking. that... Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, but let me think on that to be sure. Uh, anyway. So, so, yeah, I would give it five stars. Uh, Seriously? But it personally, yes. But see, the, 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 the crazy thing is, I guess... You're not that just saying I that. I just don't really like it that much. But, but, I but, like it. I enjoy it. How, but I, it's not a film I need to see every year or anything. Then how can you give it five stars? See, to me, because five- I, I gave a you, you know the film Hugo by uh, uh, Martin Scorsese. I've heard of it. They came out in uh, 2011. Uh huh. And it was a, a family film, and I thought it was a masterpiece. I thought it was fantastic, and it was certainly one of the best films of 2011. It got high kudos from the critics a lot. You know, everywhere. Audiences loved it. On the one hand, though, I I regarded it as a five-star film. My, before I knew what anyone else thought, I, I hadn't read any re- other reviews, and I saw the film, I thought, wow, this is just great. But at the same time, it's not like I've bothered to see it again since then. It's just not a favorite. It's still a like, great film. Your, but, uh, your way of thinking on these sorts of things boggles my mind, Joseph. <laughs> You're a good friend, I, but... I, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Um, I definitely have those films where I understand why it's a good film. I understand why people like it. I understand that it's technically superior. I understand things like that, but I might not like it. I, I get that. Okay. Because if we had to assume that uh, a movie that we just love is you know, a five-star film, then that means that The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and... A New Hope are all five star films, and that's just simply not true. We've watched those countless times. For for the record, A New Hope is like three stars. Uh, the uh, Empire Strikes Back is four and a half, and Return of the Jedi is like three and a half. <laughs> just for just for the record, okay. I've never just thought. For the record. I, not that I've given this much thought. <laughs> are you are you a Trekkie, TJ? I am. Okay, that explains it. 
Um, <laughs> another five star film uh, would be Star Trek Two. I would agree with that. All right. Well, we, we'll have to get you on. Rem, remind me. We'll have to get you on to talk about that film sometime. And I want to talk about it because it is one of my favorite films. Yeah, we should do that when uh, when the new Star Trek movie comes out because there's rumors that Khan will either be in it or... Yeah, I, I don't think he will, but... Have uh, a cameo or something. If, if he's in it, he'll be alluded to or have a cameo or something. I don't think he's going to be the villain, but yeah. I could be wrong. Anyway, yeah, I'd love to talk with you about Star Trek then. Uh, but we, we really need to wrap this up. So um, if there do, does anybody have any final thoughts about The Matrix? Uh, not me. Stuart? Nope. Uh, I think that we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah. I think this is a film that if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Go see <laughs> it. Uh, it is it is worthy of having in your library, but certainly worthy of at least watching once if you're any kind of a fan of film. And I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you are. So um, definitely worth watching. Uh, even if you don't like it, and I can understand if somebody has reasons why they don't like it, um, but you should certainly know it and watch it and, and, and know of it. So that's that's all really I have left to say about it. So, Stuart, if somebody wants to keep up with you, uh, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find me on – let me – you got me on the spot. <laughs> okay. One second. Uh, my blog is carpeseizure.com. Can you spell that for us? C-A-R-P-E, and then the word seizure, so it's seize the seizure. Okay. It's very clever. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash stew, S-T-E-W dot Adams. And I'm on Twitter, but I never use it, so. Okay. Yeah. All right, and Joseph, uh, where can folks keep up with you? Uh, my website is jivingjackalope.com. And you can also catch me on Facebook if you go to josephdarnell.com. And my handle on Twitter is josephdarnell, and I use it all the time. So, yeah, if yeah. you want to connect to Twitter and to me, I'm there. And likewise, I am a heavy Twitter user. I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, although I, I tend to use it more for personal interactions. But uh, you can uh, subscribe to my updates and stuff on Facebook, facebook.com slash Draper. And uh, I do have a website, which is being sadly neglected, as I mentioned last week, buzzingpixel.com. But uh, most of my attention is on MovieByte right now. So um, if you only listen to the podcast, you should go check out moviebyte.com. We're posting new stuff there every day, uh, news and reviews and updates and all sorts of fun things. So check it out, moviebyte.com. Again, the show notes for this show can be found at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 13. We'd also like to encourage you to rate our show in iTunes. It helps uh, helps our ratings, helps people find the show, and we'd really love for the show to grow. We want to uh, grow our subscriber base and make this a, a show as great as it can be. So please uh, give us a rating and a review in iTunes if you like the show. And I think that about wraps it up. Hey, Stuart, I just wanted to say a big thanks again for coming in and doing this with us. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the invite, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. I know I couldn't have raved, I, I know I couldn't have raved about Matrix like you do. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great talking with you about the Matrix. Good to, absolutely. Nice, nice to find another fan of the film. <laughs> for sure. Maybe, right. maybe we'll have you back for Cloud Atlas. Yes, that would be fun. Let's, pl- let's plan on that. Is this an idea? Yeah. All cool. right. All righty. Well, Joseph, Stuart, thank you very much, and we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Later. Later.